Despite the Government, brought to you by Tam and Buega. This podcast is a window for African entrepreneurs and innovators within Africa and all across the globe to discuss ideas towards advancing the cause of a new, vibrant Africa. Find and subscribe to Despite the Government wherever you get your podcast. This is Despite the Government Podcast. Enjoy this episode. Hello there. Welcome to Despite the Government Podcast, a platform for Africans in Africa and across the world to share ideas on how to move the continent forward, especially despite government restrictions. On this platform, we talk to people in the liberty and other spaces who are making moves to ensure that progress can be made regardless of the government. On our podcast today, we talk to the founder of Global African Christians for Liberty. He is also involved with other human rights activism. Uh, we'll talk a lot about everything that he is into and the organization in general on the episode of this podcast. Thank you, Chukwemeka Ezogo, for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me on your program. So a while ago, uh, I'm talking about a week ago, uh, you were at The Hague in Netherlands uh, for a particular purpose. I'm sure that's related to your work here too. I just want to you know, briefly touch that before we get into the podcast. How was your trip and how was your experience over there? Okay, thank you. I was at The Hague Academy for Local Governance where I went for a training uh, sponsored by the Dutch government to train people on how governance can be achieved, especially locally. Because generally we have this idea that governance has to be, you know, top down, right? But in this aspect, we are looking at governance from the grassroots, from the local level, and how that can contribute to national development as a whole. And of course, this touched on issues of uh, human rights, uh, the rule of law, conflict resolution, peace building, and yeah, so that, of course, uh, puts me in the position to train other people and teach us to our participants and followers on these issues of conflict resolution, peace building, the rule of law, good governance as it should be. Uh, for instance, in northern Nigeria, where we operate mostly, which is, you know, the ideas of conflict resolution and peace building is really necessary. So that program really helped me and actually my organization in a position to move forward and touch other topics. Let's talk about Global African Christians for Liberty. It was founded in March 2015 and you say your mission is to promote ideas of a free society which includes rule of law, freedom and tolerance. I'd like you to expatiate or explain, you know, it's pretty easy to get but in your own terms, how has the mission fared so far in terms of speaking truth to power, in terms of seeking justice and humanity across board, especially when it comes to freedom and tolerance and upholding the rule of law. Yeah, so um, looking at our environment in Africa, of course, we are all, the continent as a whole is grappling with the issues of uh, the rule of law, uh, tolerance, freedom of individuals. And so we looked at these ideas, you know, realizing that these are ideas that can help our society move forward. So in our organization, we'll be more into educating the youth, especially, and speaking out against injustice that takes place in the society. So we have uh, seminars, trainings for young people who have the desire to speak out, you know, to stand for justice, to speak the truth. And so we 
they don't know how. A lot of people don't know how. You know, people are usually carried away by every propaganda, every ideas they come across without knowing how to implement them, without knowing what is wrong, what is right. So what we do in our organization, Global African Christians for Liberty Initiative, is to bring these youth together, uh, try to bridge the gap, especially when it comes to you know tribalism, ethnicity. For instance, elections are coming up in Nigeria. You discover that you know there will be a lot of division, even in online social media. You have this tribalism going on. You know, people are saying uh, the next president should be from the southeast of Nigeria, Nibuman. Others are saying he must be from the north, an Aosa man. Uh, others are saying a Yoruba man is fit. You know, this kind of conflict causes tension and can result in political and electoral crisis at the end of the day. So what we do is to bring them together and let them know that what they should look for is someone who can create value in the society. What they should look for is someone who has the interests of the people at heart. They should go out and vote. And because of how the country has been, the, you know, the past years, you discover that there is a lot of political apathy. Youths are not interested in politics anymore. They believe it is always rigged. They believe uh, it's for the elite. They believe their voices don't count. So what we do is to encourage them to be part of the, the electoral process, to be part of politics in their country, to be part of local governance. And they have to know that it starts with them. They can start in their you know, local environment. It doesn't have to be top down. We don't always have to look at the central government, you know, at the federal government for change to happen. Yeah. So um, we look at all these issues affecting our youths and, you know, try to get them involved in governance in Nigeria. Let them know they are citizens, but they also have to be active and participate in ensuring that, uh, uh, you know, the right things are done. When it comes to the rule of law, we see our elite and political office holders flouting, you know, laws, right? And, you know, it's as if some policies are made just for the, the poor masses, but those policies and those laws do not affect the elite. So we try to let them know that everybody must be held accountable. Everybody is equal before the law, right? And therefore, whatever you do, you must be accountable and you should know that you are not able everything must be done according to the rule of law. Tolerance, again, is, a, uh, is an issue, like I mentioned earlier, about division, tribalism. So you find that uh, people don't you know, have this tolerance for each other. People are about other ideas. A lot of people are rigid in their ways, in their way of thinking, according to their culture, maybe religion. And you find that some influential people, even um, religious leaders, use this. Uh, to cause division, unfortunately, when they are supposed to bring our youth together, bring people together. But there is always this sense of superiority. My religion is better than yours. My mm. tribe is better than yours. Mm. And, you know, it causes intolerance in the society. My culture is better than yours. My yeah. idea is better than yours. All right, all and right. you discover that people have becoming intolerant to each other and causes the problems in the society. So we try to let them know that it doesn't have to be so. We can accommodate each other's values and ideas. So that is what my organization uh, is also involved in. Uh, I, I see that you have talked about uh, the spread across tribal lines in Nigeria, the differences in tribe, and how uh, clearly we have seen how 
um, there is division in the public debate about, you know, who should be president, uh, who should take this position. But I like the fact that your organization also goes across board because I see on your website that you have uh, engaged youth across parts of Nigeria, including Maiduguri, in places like the s- southern Nigeria, in, in southeast, in Imo State, in, you know, places like Delta. Can you speak to uh, some of the specific uh, empowerment or educational programs that you have done across Nigeria, especially, you know, maybe we should start from the south before we go to the north. Okay, so from the south, where I'm from, it's sad to say that the general belief that the Igbos, for instance, I'm Igbo, the Igbos are the machine, uh, the economic uh, drive that is holding this country together. And based on this thinking, we forget that no man is an island. No matter what an Igbo man has achieved, he must have worked with somebody else. We are all in this nation called Nigeria. Right, and there is no way you move even from, let's say, from Abia State to Calabar or to Cameroon without passing through Cross River State, right? So definitely there will be some interaction and there will be some interdependency. So what I, my organization did was to open their eyes to see that no man is an island, no matter how we think we are, no matter how blessed we believe we are, and how powerful we are in, in, in Nigeria as a whole, in the economic progress of Nigeria, we cannot do without each other, right? So in the East, the Southeast, what the message was, we can work together. We can all be one. We can move this nation forward as one people, regardless of uh, tribal sentiments or whatever. Hmm. So that was all we did in the Southeast. In the South-South also, we let them know that uh basically the same message because it was a particular program that cut across uh abuja uh Imo state and uh, delta state so we basically took the message of tolerance and also entrepreneurship as a, a, a means of uh, moving nigeria forward moving the nation forward you know a lot of people a lot of youths depend on uh, white collar jobs without looking at the environment so we brought in experts uh entrepreneurs who let them know that there is always, every challenge is an avenue to, to generate wealth because every challenge deserves or must have a solution. And it is only those who are able to find the solution to these challenges that are able to tap into the wealth of the nation. So entrepreneurship also was one of the key uh, messages, one of the key issues we discussed in uh, Imo states in the Southeast, Delta State in the South South and in Abuja where we did our program at the University of Abuja, main campus. So entrepreneurship and tolerance was the message. We believe we cannot work together. And entrepreneurship is one of the key factors, one of the key, you know, ways that we can help to grow our economy and move the nation forward. Interesting. Uh, I think we might come back to the topic of entrepreneurship in the course of this conversation. But let's go to northern Nigeria. I understand that you have been to places like Maiduguri as well. Uh, as part of your crusade to uh, give the message of tolerance, the message of, you know, hope and unity. Uh, can you talk about the differences that you have observed in how you, is it the same same kind of problems or what's specific or what's, what might be different in northern Nigeria in terms of how you reach out to people over there? So the, the difference basically is that there are challenges are obviously you know, differ from the challenges we have in the South. You know, in the North, 
East, for instance, in Medjugorje, Borno states, they have the challenge of uh, Boko Haram terrorism. Um, a lot of people, because Boko Haram came initially, started initially as a religious group and started talking about the West and not the evils of the Western nations and how they are you know, doing one or two things in the country that is not good for the promotion of Islam. And initially it was embraced by youths. Unfortunately, a lot of youths, a lot of people were indoctrinated in that hardline, uh, radical, uh, is, you know, Islamic belief. And in the Northeast, like I discovered when I went in, I discovered that there are a lot of Christians in the Northeast who are in the minority. Or like what I thought and what we thought in the past before I went to the Northeast, we believe it was, you know, just an Islamic region. But when I traveled and discovered that, yes, you have indigenous Christians, houses who are Christians, who live in these areas, and they are affected also because by the time Boko Haram became what they have become now, the terrorists they are now, discovered that both Christians and Muslims are affected. And for those that believe that Boko Haram uh, is promoting Islam, the pure form of Islam, the true form of Islam, they, they took arms against their Christian neighbors, right? So the challenge there is about, is basically religious. So our message there was on tolerance, and we tried to teach the youth, bring them together. In our programs, we made sure we had uh, an equal number of participants from both religions, from the Christians and the Muslims. And also, we tried to be gender sensitive. We reached out to more of the women because the society there now, which is another difference, is that it's very conservative. Okay, so the women are not as outspoken, are not as assertive, or you know, like the like the male, their male counterparts. Yeah. So you sometimes you have programs like this. You discover that it's male dominated. Women don't show. The up. first time. Yeah, they, they they do, but you have one or two, and mm. in a in a situation where you have a male dominated uh, event, you hardly hear the voice of the women, and they are you know an important part of society. Mm. So the first event we had was male dominated, and but the second time we had an event there, we made sure that uh, the women were heavily represented. So we had uh, a, a a young lady from Meduguri as one of the speakers also at the event. And, and we charged her with bringing her friends, hmm. her female colleagues to the event. So we had uh, an almost equal number of men and women. So these are the differences. When you run programs or seminars in the South, of course, you discover that women want to be part of it. They don't yeah. need to be told. They don't need to be encouraged. It is something they want. Because the society in that part is egalitarian, you know, allows for such. But the environment in the northeast is conservative. So yeah. um, these are the challenges we face. But eventually we're able to uh, address that, have equal number of uh, women and men. And uh, we had uh, female speakers who were able to also address issues. So yeah. their challenge is different because now the, Christ, the Boko Haram crisis like I said earlier, has caused a division between Muslims and Christians, which we use the ideas of tolerance, human rights, 
we talk about human rights, we talk about tolerance, we talk about freedom, we talk about individual liberty that says that each person is rational enough to do what works best for them. Yeah, interesting. Right? But let, they have to respect the rights of others also. Let me push this so, further. May I push this further? And then I, I see clearly that you have uh, a bird's eye view, if I can say that. You know, it's a view of what's happening in the south, in the in the in the north, and I'm I'm sure in the middle belt as well. You have a general overview, uh, and clearly it shows that you support unity. And I'd like to believe that you support one Nigeria. Where does that? Because you see the calls that are coming from all kinds of angles and you have alluded to that as well. Ignorance and, you know, the way politicians and people in power seem to pitch people against each other and you start to see yes. divisions. Uh, where does yes. your belief in the idea of one Nigeria? I'd like to believe that you, or I'd like to speak first of all on the fact that uh, with the whole situation we see right now, do you believe or do you think the best way to go is to keep the country as one and solve our problems as one entity. And if that's what you think, where does your belief for United Nigeria come from? Is it from, you know, what you have read or what you have seen or, yeah, let's just speak to that topic. Okay. <laughs> this is a very sensitive topic, if I may admit, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I'm from the Igbo tribe, of course, and we have uh, people from my tribe calling for a cessation. I'm from the Southeast where definitely uh, people from my tribe are calling for cessation. And of course, we've also seen some people from the Southwest, the Yoruba nation, also calling for cessation. Even people from the North, the Arawa group, have said it is best. To, so it is not just uh, from one side of the country. Now, that tells you that the issue we are having is not just the marginalization of a certain people. The issue on the ground is the issue of bad governance. We are having a governance of non-inclusivity, of marginalization, if you will say that. And it's not only one tribe that is marginalized. You know, you are hearing all this about secession because, like we all know, uh, we have come to uh, accept and recognize these are from the major tribes. Now, what do we say about the minority among us? You understand my point? Yeah. So if we are saying we want to leave, and the Yoruba nation say they want to leave, and the Northerners say they want to leave, what happens to the middle belts? Where do they belong? What happens to the others? What happens to the minority groups and states in Nigeria? And now one of the issues on ground about the whole cessation thing. So they are saying they do not want to leave. They like Nigeria as it is. And they believe that this nation can move forward. Now, like your question asks, where do I stand? I believe this country can work as a whole. I believe this country can work as a nation. As long as the right things are done, as long as people are recognized, the rule of law is followed. You cannot have uh, uh, make scapegoats of people from the southeast or southwest and then people from the north as, as sacred cows. Or you make scapegoats of people from the north while people from the south are sacred cows. So there is need for equity and fairness if we want this nation to move forward. So when it comes to the whole secession agenda going on right now, it is constitutional for a tribe that says they, are, they don't feel among, that you know, feel they are not included in governance. If they decide to leave, it is constitutional. I will not say it is wrong. It is constitutional, but things must be done the right way. There is a due process. And violence is not always the answer. So 
there are diplomatic ways, there are political ways of achieving all this. For instance, a referendum can take place, you know. So um, I am not against secession, but for the, this present Nigeria, I believe we can move forward if the right things are done. If the rule of law is, that is why it is very important when we talk about the rule of law. You cannot have a law that says someone who embezzles funds has to go to jail and forfeits access and all that. And then when someone who embezzles funds or commits a fraudulent act, you know, dupes people of their hard-earned money, because it's from a particular tribe, the justice is skewed in their favor and they are let off easily with some flimsy fine. Whereas someone else from another tribe is sent to jail with hard labor for years. You understand? Yeah, I feel so you. the rule of law has to be followed. Everyone has to answer to their crimes and everyone has to do the time according to their crimes. So fairness and equity is what we need to move this country forward. Nigeria can stand as a nation, as it is, but we need to be fair. And the rule of law has to be followed in the political judicial process and in governance as a whole. You cannot have, you cannot have, for instance, let me bring up this issue of NMPC, uh, the Petroleum Corporation of Nigeria. You know, recently we saw in the news that they want to carry out road construction projects in different parts of Nigeria. And now Northern Nigeria is going to benefit more from that project than the Southwest, than the Southeast, than the South Central, North Central. You understand? Yeah, so you. come this kind of project, you know, is not done in a way that shows that there is no bias, in a way that shows there is equity, there but, is justice. But um, Chukwe Emeka, in my opinion, I have seen rebuttals yes, of some of these things. Uh, there is a lot of this narrative that, uh, and this is a touchy topic, like you said, but of course, the narrative yes. that the North has, especially these governments, I think it's more semantics and more body language. So, for instance, people make the excuse that why does the government go after Kanu and go after Igboho but doesn't go after the bandits? But truly, the government goes mm. after the bandits. Bandits are killed in Zamfara. Bandits are affected. This NNPC example as well. Now, the narrative shows or says that more states in the north or more places in the north will benefit from the new NNPC Petroleum Industry Act bill where a part of the money would, would go into exploring other avenues of or resources in the north. But rebutters have been made to show that across board, NNPC will serve everybody. Only that we want to be assured of a future where if there is a, a resource somewhere in the north, we should also explore just like we explore elsewhere. So I just see, like you always say, like you said in your uh, part of your website, that people use different narratives to pitch uh, tribes against each other i see that a lot now yeah. people people use mm. that narrative and so i think we should be careful and be you know we should try not to buy into the popular mostly most of the time these things are not exactly true and they fly around i don't know if you have something to say to that yes sir um i agree with you definitely that we don't have to be carried away by every news because even the media as we know it is biased you know, so they have they push narratives to suit a, a certain uh, people or to push a certain agenda. But in the case of Nigeria, for instance, let's use the refinery in Kaduna State. Yeah. And let's use the oil exploration uh, projects in the north. Mm -hmm. Now, if 
if really there is oil in commercial quantity in the north of Nigeria, I believe all those multinational companies that were in Nigeria right from the 60s, they would have done that exploration. Now, last year alone, Kaduna State Refinery recorded a loss of over 60 billion naira because there was no oil in the north to be refined. Do you understand? Yeah, I feel you. But there is a budget and there is money allocated to this refinery. They are paying overhead. They are paying staff working there. Now, what are those staff doing? Is that not a question we should ask? If that refinery is not productive, if that refinery is not helping the economy, it's rather consuming money, why don't we, for the meantime, shut it down? Then fix up the refineries in the south where the bulk of the oil is. It is not the north. We are not, nobody has anything against north of Nigeria. Hmm. We what the, the problem is governance. The governance we have in place now is not benefiting the country as it should. Hmm. You understand? You yeah. cannot be allocating resources to moribund and, and futile projects. For instance, the railway uh, project that this administration borrowed money to build from Niger to Chad, right? From Nigeria to Niger Republic. Yeah. I mean, how economically beneficial is that to the Nigerian government? Hmm. Compare that with the amount of goods that come in from other neighboring states like Ghana, for instance, Cameroon, where you have a lot of businesses yeah. going in and out. Why are we building a railway to Niger Republic from Nigeria? How many metric tons of products, food products, coming to Nigeria, let's say, or is exported to those countries from, you know, through, through Niger Republic? You understand? Yeah, I feel And you. then when this issue was presented to Mr. President, President Muhammad Buhari, what what was his what did he say? He said they are our brothers too, that the people in Niger are also our brothers. If we really want to move forward in Nigeria with these points I've made, I think government projects should be at least economically viable. They should be really looked into and and make sure it benefits you know the country as it should. Yeah. Without attempting to defend or side with government, but I think the example first of all you made about Kaduna refinery, it is the Nigerian okay. factor, the Nigerian problem of wastage. So Portakot refinery, Warif refinery, they've been there, including Kaduna, but all of them are not working to you know full capacity. Ajakuta steel rolling company yeah. is in Kogi State. There's bitumen in Ondo yeah. State. These things are not explored. In Kogi, I hear or I understand that pensioners are paid for something that is that wasn't working. So it's not a it's a Nigerian issue. So that's that's on the side. Regarding the train situation, all I know is that if there is the need for people to travel from places like Maiduguri or from Kano all the way to Niger Republic, if there is a trade route over there, there's no problem to fix it. A, a, a rail a rail system. Lagos Ibadan was fixed, it's still being done. Itakwe to Wari was done. Abuja to Kaduna. So and then they have plans for, you know, Potako to Lagos. These are these are big plans, futuristic plans. But when someone takes a story and they push the agenda, I stay a lot on Twitter, so I see these things. And they say that, oh, Wari only does a train or the government only does trains from north to the Niger. But that's not true. There's a train that moves from Itakwe to Wari, from Lagos to Ibadan and all of that. But like I said, there's a way people use these stories to skew and to, to accommodate intolerance. Mm. But I don't want us to go back and forth on this. I just, you know, no wanted problem. to 
clarify or put my own input into it. I agree with you. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk policy. Apart from um, empowerment and, you know, pushing the agenda of tolerance and advocating for human rights and rule of law, apart from that, are there specific things that you have been doing or that you plan to do in the policy area? Because we see that there is a lot of, you know, policy issues that have to be addressed. You know, the problems that we see across board, people feel that if policies were in place and properly implemented, some of these problems can be solved over time. Is there something that you feel your organization can look into in policy reforms in that area? When it comes to policy, what we do basically is to encourage you to, you know, we have this belief in Nigeria that once something has been signed into law, it is final. And we encourage the youth to be part of the policy-making process. For instance, you have public hearings that are made and people are invited to submit their findings and say, you know, what they feel is wrong and all that. So um, when it comes to policy issues, we only encourage, for now, we encourage our uh, youth to really, really look into policies. You understand? You don't just say it is a law, it is a policy, therefore it must be so. There, are, there is what we call what is seen and what is not seen, according to Frederick Bastiat, which is one of my influencers, I should say. So in what is seen and what is not seen, it means what you see a law and then you say, okay, this is what this law says, this is what it should achieve. But what we don't check is what will be the, the, the negative effects of this law on other parts or on other segments of the society, right? For instance, the LGBTB uh, law by President Jonathan back in 2014, leading to the 2015 elections. That law, for instance, yeah, it may not be an economic policy, but that law, for instance, criminalizes people of the LGBTQ community. Mm. And that is what we see, that they should go to jail, they should be arrested, and all that. And now we believe that uh, some, in quotes, bad people in the society are being sent to jail. But what is not seen is that the police now and law enforcement agents have used this policy to victimize Nigerians generally, okay? Yeah. One of the things I learned at the Hague Academy for Local Government, uh, Local Governance is uh, what we call institutional violence as a cause of violence. Institutional violence is when policies actually contribute to conflicts in the society by way of laws and policies. You understand? So you have this policy that criminalizes these people, and then you also have what we call cultural uh violence yeah. cultural form of violence now we the, the, the nigerian police as it, as it is culturally by culturally means it, this has been their norm for a long time yeah they are known for flouting the law for arbitrary arrests and extrajudicial killings and all that mm. and now you have a, a policy in place a law in place that criminalizes certain members of the society what do you expect people who have this culture of violence to do it will reinforce that culture among them. Now, what have they done? They go randomly pick people and tag them, homosexuals and whatever. Mm. And they are sent to jail, they are arrested. And this law also now, for instance, will make it difficult for people from this community to even assess health care. Because how can you go to a hospital and say, I am gay, I have this issue? Because they will, they will definitely take your medical history, ask you about, you know, in the cause of a diagnosis. They want to know your history, your lifestyle, and everything. Now, people from this community are not able to speak out because everybody sees them as what? Bad people, according yeah. to the law. As, as criminals. So when you have 
Yes, as criminals that should be in jail for 14 years or for 100 years, according to the law. So when you see laws, when it comes to policymaking, we encourage people to look at, or encourage our youth to look at the negative effects of this. Hmm. Who is it benefiting? Who will be negatively affected by this? For That kind of law, for instance, has a religious undertone to it. In a country like Nigeria that is multi-religious, diverse culturally and all, you cannot use Christian and Islamic religious laws. You know, it's just like the way Christians say Sharia law does not apply to them. But there are Christians living in, in states in Nigeria that apply the Sharia law. And we've had issues where a Christian and a Muslim has issues and there is a debate whether to take it to Sharia law or to the constitutional courts. So that law, for instance, has a religious undertone to it but negatively affects people who are neither Christians nor Muslims. And even if they were, they are individuals that are practicing what they believe in. And every law, if a law is fair, it should also cater for the minority in a society. So in policy making, we, we encourage our youth to really, really look into laws and don't just accept laws as they are, because it is the law. Great. Yes. Uh... Thank you for that. And hopefully uh, we get to see more work. Uh, let's talk about religion and liberty. How would you describe the intersection between the Christian faith in particular, where I believe you are mostly grounded? And if possible, if you can speak on religion and how it intersects the idea of liberty. Does Christianity has its way of highlighting why liberty is essential among humanity? I like your perspective on that. Okay, um, I am a Christian, and of course, I will speak more from that perspective. Um, Christianity, of course, encourages freedom. And there are different sections, parts of the Bible that reinforces that. Um, you are free to worship who you want to worship, what you want to worship. There are doctrines he or she is expected to follow, same with other religions, all right? But even religion is not always rigid. People find different paths to their purpose in religion. So it doesn't have to be one way. And that is the freedom that comes with it. Um, religion and liberty of freedom, you know, we all have the right to, it is part of uh, the United Nations Human Rights Charter, it's part of our constitution in Nigeria, freedom of religion, uh, freedom of association. So the, there, is, there is really no, if the only place I have issue with religion and liberty not have issue with is that in nigeria we don't really respect this for instance you have people from the christian religion uh trying to make people from other religions like criminals you know for instance early this year there was a case of uh, a witches conference that was to take place in university of nigeria and soka and the christian association of nigeria staged a protest mm -hmm. that the witches association cannot hold their conference. Hmm. Can you see the religious intolerance comes across or you know religions? It's not just people or it's not just other people, even Christians too. And I wrote an article which I believe you can find on our website. Yeah, I saw that. Uh which I called uh, yes, a case of misplaced priority. Because I believe Christian Association has no business staging a protest to say against people of religion. other belief should not practice what they believe in. So government, now, what government if, is not the only oppressive agent here. Mm -mm. That is where we teach our people that, you know, 
It doesn't always have to be the government. There are things you can do as an individual, right? So I wrote against that, and I sent the link of that article to my Christian friends in the Pentecostal Fellowship of Nigeria, Christian Association of Nigeria. I sent it to all of them, and I received a lot of uh, castigations and feedbacks about, yes, well, I don't care. What is wrong is wrong, and we have to call a spade a spade. If you believe in the power of your God and prayers, why don't you go to him in prayers? Why are you staging a protest? And if any other religions should stage a protest against, let's say, a crusade by one of the big pastors in Nigeria, and the witches decide it's not going to happen, and decide to call on the government to stop the Christians from holding their, they will be the ones to cry foul, to cry victim, right? But now, why do you have to do the same to other people? Even the Bible says, do to others what you want them to do to you. You understand? Yeah, I feel That you. is one of the clear cases of, of freedom in the Bible. Do yeah. to others what you want them to do to you. So if you believe these people should not hold their events, then you also should not hold their events. And as you have done to them, they may likely do to you. You understand? Mm. So I believe we should not forget the if even the Bible says in Christ Jesus there is what liberty. Yeah. There is freedom. In other words, if it doesn't work for you, you go. If it works for you, you stay. Yeah. So give, I believe Christians, Muslims yeah, exactly. So Christians and Muslims, uh, the major religious groups in Nigeria should respect and recognize that there are other uh, religions apart from ours. I have a friend who was born a Christian, raised a Christian, but mm. today he is an Ifa priest. Mm. He's regarded as the youngest Ifa priest. And he hosts podcasts and, you know, talks about same thing, religion and freedom. He grew up in a very big church. I think Christian Pentecostal Mission or something. Well, where they are very strict. But he found his own path. He's an Ifa priest. And he is supported by his family. So you can imagine that that is the beauty of diversity. That is the beauty of religion and freedom. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, religion and freedom cannot be separated. Yeah, I feel you. Know? you. I feel yeah. you now. So let's talk an about another topic, an article that I saw on your website, uh, the legitimacy of gambling. Um, you are making a case for the fact that as long as people don't hurt other people it's their money they are to gamble and in fact you backed it up with some i think bible passages there's a, there's a way you link the stories can you tell us about that is it of course the fact that the law allows gambling or betting means that as long as a business can survive here you know let's let people do what they want to do what's your perspective on that and why should we legitimize gambling gambling you know uh, we are human beings Okay, and like I, I wrote in the article, our life as a whole is a gamble. Everything we do is a gamble. The investments we make in, in real estate, in the banking sector, is a risk. It's a gamble. It may work, it may not work. Now, you have an industry. You know, I was looking at it purely from the economic perspective. Okay, so now people came up with moral uh, reasons why gambling should not be allowed. There is nothing gambling does that any other thing doesn't do. If anything becomes an obsession, then that is where it may be a problem if the person does not, you know, take care. But to say, to become a moral agent, whether the state or an individual, to say, do not gamble. This happened in Gambia with former President uh, Yaya Jame, who stopped 
put a law against gambling in the Gambia. And the industry suffered. The economy suffered, of course. And a lot of youths couldn't do anything. Like I mentioned in that article, I have a friend. He was a policeman I know who was about to get married. Of course, we know the police force in Nigeria, they are underpaid. But from his meager resources, he takes out a couple or two uh, Nairas to bet. And in one of those, he was successful. He made over a million Naira. And he was about to get married. He was able to rent a good apartment, get married. You know, Amaris are flamboyant in Nigeria, you know, and all that. And, you know, put his life on track. So there are other people who have done the same. So basically, my point is that from the legal perspective and from the, you know, side of freedom, as a human being, for my own money, like I said, you cannot tell me what to do with my money. You may advise me, you may suggest to me, but to call on the government to put a restriction on gambling because you don't gamble. I can decide to call on the government to put a restriction on any other thing that will affect you. And then it doesn't work. An eye for an eye will make the whole world go blind. So the best thing is we have to do is to respect people's choices. If people say they want to bet, they will bet. I know people that have decided, like you say, you're always on Twitter. We see people that say, ah, I stopped gambling 10 years ago. I stopped gambling two years ago. It didn't pay me. They've learned their lesson and they decided to stop it. So, but everything doesn't have to be by the law. You don't have to ban everything. It don't work. And when you put a ban in place, that is when, you know, we human beings, when you say, put, stop this, when you put a ban on something, the human mind, for those that are not even aware, they will want to do that thing to know why there is a ban on it. Okay? To know why there is a ban. So it's all about their personal experiences. It is not for the government to ban. For instance, the ban on uh, uh, marijuana use in Nigeria. I wrote about it when I was... Uh, working with Students for Liberty International. And I wrote that it doesn't make sense. Nigeria has one of the most potent uh, marijuana in the world. And in other parts of the world, like the US and other countries, they've maximized the potential of marijuana. They've maximized the potential and they are using it to grow the economy. In, in Colorado, US, for instance, it has become a major part of the economy. So where people pay taxes. I was in the Netherlands, like you rightly said, some weeks back. There are shops where you can go and have, for those that want to have uh, their marijuana, they, they, you buy it the way you buy your cigarette or your beer or food, and you pay the taxes, the government gets the taxes from this. And it helps to grow the economy. Why do we have to burn bushes, farms of marijuana crops? So these are some of the policies that are in place. So gambling and all this, we don't have to ban this thing. These are people's choices. And we need to respect people's choices. Because at the end of the day, you produce victimless criminals. You have our cells and prisons filled with people who have not done anything to anybody just because there is a ban on a certain product or on a certain activity like gambling. Now, you know that the gambling industry in Nigeria is a big one. They're making a lot of money. The betting houses and betting organizations are making a lot of money. So money is coming in, money, money is going. It, it's all about people's choices. It's all about people's freedom. So I believe banning things, you know, is not the way to go in our country. Your, let's talk about African countries, other African countries. Uh, how soon or I, do you already have a network of Africans that you work with or do you hope to extend your work to other African countries? 
Well, I hope to extend my work to other African countries, but from what we do here, I've been able to move, uh, travel to Burundi, Tanzania, Kenya to speak as a representative of my organization on some of these issues. Um, in The Hague, also in the Netherlands, I was able to do that. Um, of course, I have my colleagues in these countries who are doing the same thing, promoting the same ideas. So we have, for instance, we have a weekly meeting of uh, colleagues in Africa where we discuss these issues as it pertains to different countries and the way forward. There is a monthly meeting. So every month we meet for an hour, we discuss, we read up what is happening in other countries and we discuss the solution and what others are doing to promote freedom and uh, human rights in their countries. So I hope to spread the network, but for now, I just work individually as a representative of my organization with the partners in, in East Africa, especially. Uh, uh, before we wrap up, are there any specific issues that you think Nigeria must address uh, very urgently if we are going to get out of you know, the current problem that we're in, just to wrap up on that point? Yes. The issue of police brutality is something, like I mentioned earlier, it is structural, it is institutional, and it is cultural. Because we have a police force that is culturally, that is known for its brute force, which is wrong. And then I believe the government should uh, take a measure by making sure that the laws they put in place do not further empower the police force and all our security agencies to become more brutal than they are. So one of the ways we can move forward in Nigeria is to look at some of these laws that encourage the police to go out and make victims or make criminals of innocent people. An example is one by law in Abuja that has banned prostitution. Immediately that by law was passed, an agency of the Abuja Capital Administration called the Abuja Environmental Protection Board it's made up of uh, law enforcement agents. They go out and they arrest ladies on the charges that they are prostitutes. Some of them are raped in police custody. Some of them are sexually assaulted, sexually violated. Even young ladies, ordinary young ladies that are probably you know, innocent citizens going about their normal business are picked up forcefully and they are called criminals. So because of these policies that the government puts in place, it empowers the police force to to become more you know, brutal and to criminalize innocent people. So police reform is an issue that must take place if we want a free and just society in Nigeria. And that will start by repealing all these laws and policies that encourage their nefarious activities in the country. Thank you. Our conversation has been with Chukwemeka Ezogo, who is founder of Global African Christians for Liberty. Thank you so much for your time on the podcast. Thank you very much, Mr. Vega.